This is The Guardian. Today, for the past two months, it looked like Yevgeny Prigozhin had done the impossible, crossed Vladimir Putin and survived. Behind the scenes, though, a very different story was playing out. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Пилотник. Сбили, бабахнуло, два раза взорвалось, падает. Ты посмотри, падает. Last Wednesday, a plane said to be carrying the Russian mercenary leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, went down in a field a few hundred miles from Moscow. And you'd have to say, the news of his death did not come as a surprise. Prigozhin, who runs a business empire that includes the brutal mercenary group Wagner, as well as troll farms, disinformation outlets, even a catering service, has been a long-time problem solver for the Kremlin. After being jailed for nine years for robbery and fraud, he became a hot dog salesman, and then the man known as Putin's chef. His catering company hosted events for foreign leaders as well as President Vladimir Putin's private birthday parties. But in July, Prigozhin became the problem, turning against the Russian army and marching to within a few dozen miles of the Russian capital. Russia's president has confirmed an armed uprising is underway by Evgeny Prigozhin, head of the Wagner mercenary group. Prigozhin was mobbed as he drove out of Rostov-on-Don, supposedly heading for a comfortable retirement in Belarus. But he had crossed the line. President Vladimir Putin is accusing the Wagner mercenary group of an armed rebellion, and he warns that those involved will be punished. For a long time, the way this story would end felt inevitable. Because even though there's no proof of the Kremlin's involvement in the plane crash, the record shows you don't betray Vladimir Putin, stick around in Russia, and go on to live a long and healthy life. But what was a mystery to people watching on was, why was it taking so long? Why was Prigozhin allowed to keep travelling, keep running his businesses, even to keep criticising the war in Ukraine? And then, last week, with a sudden crash in a field, and what we've learned in its aftermath, we got the answer. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, the final weeks of Yevgeny Prigozhin. Piotr Sawyer, you're The Guardian's Russian affairs correspondent. Last time we talked about Yevgeny Prigozhin, he'd recently instigated what many described as a coup against the Russian government. One of the people who described it that way was Vladimir Putin, who condemned Prigozhin as a traitor, said he must be held accountable, and then seemingly did nothing about it. Prigozhin was still travelling in Russia, still attending government meetings, still overseeing Wagner's operations in Africa. Pick up the story for me from there. Prigozhin appeared to move freely over the last two months, despite agreeing on a deal with the Belarusian president, Alexander Lukashenko, that saw him uh, leaving for exile to Belarus. Strikingly, five days after the rebellion, 
the Kremlin said Putin invited Prigozhin and offered Wagner to continue fighting in Ukraine as long as Prigozhin would not join the rebels. Prigozhin was defined during that meeting and he rejected that offer from Vladimir Putin. He was filmed in Belarus telling his mercenaries that the conduct of the war in Ukraine was a disgrace. He was photographed on the sidelines of a Russia-Africa summit where he appeared to held his own parallel summit at a hotel inviting the leaders of uh, multiple African countries. You know, he was photographed visiting his opulent mansion where he was supposedly picked up millions of dollars that he left behind. So the behavior of Prigozhin was brazen and really surprised many of those who followed Putin over the last 23 years. Piotr, you're one of the people who's followed Putin and the story of Russia over many years. What did you make of the fact that Yevgeny Prigozhin launched a coup against the Russian government and then remained defiant, seemingly suffering no consequences for doing so? I think it really upended my understanding of the Putin regime. It signaled to the elites that it was okay to challenge Vladimir Putin and you can actually get away with it. For two months, the Putin regime was really upside down. And you really felt that within the elites, people were starting to grumble and ask themselves whether Putin was still in control of the country and whether Prigozhin was really going to get away with this. And then last Wednesday, there's an announcement from the Russian government. Tell me about it. Yeah, on Wednesday evening, we hear news first that a private jet has crashed not far from Putin's residency in the Tver region, which is 300 miles outside Moscow. Breaking news to bring you now. According to our team in Moscow, we're getting word that a business jet has crashed in Russia, killing 10 people on board. And an hour later, the Rosavia, the Russian aviation authorities, say that Mr. Prigozhin was on the passenger list of this jet that had no survivors. No survivors, meaning Yevgeny Prigozhin may be dead. That was sort of assumed right away on Wednesday. And I think to many of us, the first thing that came to our minds was Putin's speech two months earlier, where Putin called Prigozhin a traitor who stabbed the country in the back. So even though we uh, at that point still didn't know what caused the crash, I think many right away thought that the Kremlin and Putin personally could be behind this. And so what was the reaction to this news inside Russia and then out in the world? I think many in Russia first couldn't believe that Prigozhin was really on this plane. I think over the years, Prigozhin developed this sort of mythical person who was known to have many body doubles, who faked his death multiple times. So I think uh, in Russia first, there was a lot of disbelief. But quickly, those very close to Prigozhin confirmed that he, together with two other very senior Wagner commanders, including Dmitry Utkin, who was sort of Prigozhin's right-hand man, that they were really on the plane. And is it right, Pyotr, that this crash happened basically two months to the day since the failed coup? Exactly. People found the timing very interesting. I think to some, the fact that Prigozhin was able to survive for two months after staging his rebellion was even more surprising than the crash of his private jet. I think many expected Putin to take revenge earlier. And the fact that he wasn't doing it, it it, it really upended our understanding of the Putin regime. And you said that 
Prigozhin was someone who was known to have body doubles. We've seen his collection of disguises, including as a kind of Arab warlord and various other things. Are we sure that he's actually dead? I think by this point, we can be fairly certain that he is dead. This has been communicated by Western intelligence agencies. This has been communicated by those very close to Wagner. I've spoken to a former Wagner commander who said that, according to his sources, Prigozhin is dead. Over the weekend, the Russian investigators have confirmed that his body was recovered. And Putin himself talked about Prigozhin on Thursday evening, more than 24 hours after the crash. And he spoke about Ms. Prigozhin in past tense. Putin said that Prigozhin made major mistakes in his life. I knew Prigozhin for a very long time, since the early 1990s. He was a man with a complex destiny, and he made serious mistakes in his life. And I think to those who know Putin, we realize he was referring to Prigozhin's failed coup, which Putin described as treason. And Putin has always talked about the fact that he can forgive everything, but the one thing that he can't forgive was treason. So, a plane goes down in Russia. Aboard it is a man who's been accused by Vladimir Putin of treachery. Is there any evidence of what may have caused this plane to go down? Analysis of flight data and video from the crash indicates that there was most likely at least one catastrophic midair event. US and UK intelligence also appear to suggest that a bomb caused the explosion, not uh, a pilot's mistake or a rocket. So it seems like the leading theory is a bomb. We, of course, don't know who planted the bomb, but Mr. Putin had plenty of reason to orchestrate this attack. And though the Kremlin has denied any involvement in Prigozhin's death, Putin does have a long history of at least being accused of knocking off people that he perceives to be his enemies, and especially people he thinks have betrayed him. I think it sends a very strong message to the rest of the elites. Many of those themselves own private jets, of course, rather than going for the more subtle way of killing uh, an opponent using poison or shooting him down in somewhere in Africa, as, as some suggest that he would do if Putin is behind this. He went for the very public way of going about this. Many of those near the Kremlin will be scared of uh, ever doing something similar to what Prigozhin did. Since his death was announced, we've seen these kind of impromptu tributes to Prigozhin springing up in parts of Russia. Are there any rumours of when his funeral might take place and how delicate that affair will be for the Russian government? Spontaneous places of sort of remembrance have been sprung up all around Russia with people laying flowers and other memorialia to remember Prigozhin. This photograph here, I think probably one of the last ones of Prigozhin, and it says in Russian, in this hell, he was the best, speaking about him in the... Uh, past tense. We saw uh, some people bring sledgehammers um, to to this memorial for Prigozhin. And it was a, a, a very grim reminder of the violence that Prigozhin represented, of course. Those who refuse to fight or attempt to escape are executed as a warning to others. One Wagner fighter who defected to Ukrainian forces and then was sent back to Russia as part of a prisoner exchange was then executed on camera with a sledgehammer. So we're expecting a funeral this week. 
I don't expect that the Kremlin will be very excited about a massive procedure where hundreds of Russians go down the streets and show their appreciation for Prigozhin. They'll prefer a smaller funeral with just sort of Wagner soldiers and family members. We don't expect Putin to personally pay tribute, but you never know. Piotr, you started by telling me about this confusion that everyone was feeling over the fact that for two months, Yevgeny Prigozhin, after having leveled the biggest challenge against a Russian government in decades, really humiliating Putin and some of his top defense officials, seemed to have gotten away with it scot-free, basically. How does that whole period look in retrospect, knowing what happened to Prigozhin last week? What do we now think was the Kremlin's strategy? It appears that over the last two months, the Kremlin was really preparing for a post-Prigozhin era. You know, we need to remember that uh, Prigozhin isn't just Wagner. He stands for a much bigger political and business project. Most notably is his work in Africa, where his soldiers provide personal security to local authoritarian regimes. They prop up local leaders. So I think for the Kremlin, they used these past two months to really understand how to take over Prigozhin's massive business empire it set up its own private military companies, a company called Redut, and the heads of Redut have been trying to recruit Wagner soldiers. And we've seen signs that the Russian foreign ministry has been traveling to Africa much more eagerly. We also have heard that African leaders were told not to meet with Prigozhin at the African summit. Many were scared to take selfies with him because of they realized that Prigozhin was a toxic asset and the Kremlin was uh, slowly trying to get rid of him. On the day that Prigozhin's plane crashed, News also emerged that Sergei Sorovikin, a senior Russian general, was dismissed from his position and possibly put behind bars. Sorovikin was a very close ally of Prigozhin, and there were reports that Sorovikin was aware of Prigozhin's rebellion before it started. So it seems like Putin over the last two months wasn't just trying to figure out how to take over Prigozhin's business empire. He was also working hard to understand who else could have been disloyal towards him. And by sidelining Suravikin, he sort of appeared to have tied up all loose ends. I mean, if it was Putin behind this, it's kind of like the last part of the first Godfather movie, the the day when all the outstanding debts are settled. Yeah, it, it did seem like that way. And for now, analysts believe that Putin has solidified his grip on power. You know, for years, he's been attacking those on the left of him, those who appear to be against the war. But over the last two, three months, ever since Prigozhin's rebellion, he's also made sure to sideline those who are to the right of him, this sort of ultra-nationalist wing that is for the war, but might not actually think that Russia is waging the war well enough. And I think by this week, Putin has eliminated enemies both from the left and from the right. But one thing I wonder is, would Prigozhin not have suspected that, hold on a second, the Russian defense ministry is shadowing me wherever I go in Africa. They're meeting with African leaders. They've set up their own private military company. The noose was being very slowly tightened around him. Did he not realize what was going on? I think he did. But those close to Prigozhin, and uh, I've spoken to a few people who knew him quite well, they say that one of his uh, biggest flaws was overconfidence, 
there is no indication for us to believe that Prigozhin saw his death coming. You know, the week before uh, his crash, he was in Africa. He was recording this message, standing in the desert, saying that we're recruiting soldiers again. We're here to make Africa better. We're working for Russia. We are working. The temperature is plus 50, everything as we like. Wagner PMC conducts reconnaissance and search actions, makes Russia even greater on all continents and Africa more free. This didn't seem like a man that thought that he might die soon. But in the end, it seemed like he still underestimated Putin. He thought that without him, Russia wouldn't be able to continue their work in in many places. Do we know if he was taking any kind of security measures? Like, was someone taking a sip of his tea before he drank it? Was someone checking his private jet before it took off in Russia? Just these basic things that you think you would do if you even suspected that Vladimir Putin was trying to kill you. We knew he was quite paranoid about his own security. Out of the 10 people who died during the crash, three were personal security guards of Prigozhin. He would often send his staff ahead during trips to check out the place, check out the food. You know, he wasn't naive about his security. The big question is, of course, what happened with the plane and if it was a bomb, who planted it and how they planted it. The plane was at the Shermetyeva airport in Moscow for a few weeks before it departed. So there was definitely a time frame when the bomb could have been planted. But in the end, you know, his uh, security protocols didn't save him. And for those of us outside Russia watching on who are asking this question, why didn't they kill Prigozhin straight away after the coup? If we assume the Kremlin were behind the plane crash last week, which they deny, then the answer would be they needed him. Prigozhin knew too much. He was tied up in too much. He was too valuable until the point that he wasn't. Exactly. And I think there's one more aspect to remember regarding the timing. Post-mutiny, Russia was a place that Putin has never experienced before. You know, Prigozhin inflicted the biggest crisis on his regime in 23 years. And I think going after Prigozhin right after the mutiny could have brought even more chaos to Putin. At that point, you know, there was much unclear about how the regime would last. There were questions about other generals within the army, whether they were loyal to Putin. Uh, And I think killing Prigozhin would have made him a martyr. So I think Putin also needed some time for things to calm down, uh, for him to assess the loyalty of those around him. And when he felt confident enough, uh, he struck. And do you think that what happened last Wednesday was inevitable from the moment Prigozhin launched his coup? Or was there a chance he could have saved his own life Had he just towed the line? Had he just done what Putin had asked him to do? Of course, Prigozhin's future was put in doubt the moment Putin called him a traitor. But everything Prigozhin did in the last two months didn't help his case. The way he behaved, the way he traveled, the way he attended the African summit on the the sidelines, the way he most notably dismissed Putin's offer that Wagner could go back to Ukraine without Prigozhin. I think those moments definitely didn't help his faith. And if Putin needed any more convincing that Prigozhin should be dead, I think this behavior definitely contributed to that. Coming up with Prigozhin dead, what comes next for the Wagner group? Thank you. 
Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Piotr, we're now living in the post-Yevgeny Prigozhin world. What do we know about how his Wagner mercenaries feel about the way this is all played out? Some of them are actually convicted prisoners who were recruited to fight in Ukraine. All of them are armed and dangerous. Are they a bit disgruntled by all of this? We know that many of them are in a state of shock still. The soldiers don't know what to do with themselves. Important to remember that Prigozhin was really sort of this cult leader. For for years, the Russian ministry tried to lure many of those soldiers into their groups. They refused because they felt this sort of personal loyalty towards Prigozhin. So I think some will join other private military companies. Some will go home disgruntled. I think they'll present a risk to Russian society because all these men know is violence. We've already seen former Wagner convicts returning to Russia and killing people. I think that will only present a bigger challenge to Russian society, but I'm not expecting another march on Moscow the way we saw two months ago. It's important to remember that the Russian ministry also took away their heavy weapons, their tanks over the last two months, and the element of surprise is really gone. You know, if two months ago Prigozhin managed to surprise Putin with his march on Moscow this time around, obviously the Russian security service will be prepared for any movement by these men. Piotr, the Wagner Group's been around now for nearly 10 years, but their real breakout moment was after Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine at the beginning of 2022. What does the death of Prigozhin mean for Wagner's role in Ukraine and for Russia's wider war there? I think it's important to remember that Wagner already left Ukraine three months ago, and I think Prigozhin's coup in June was sort of a reaction to this process of the Ministry of Defense trying to sideline Wagner. 
So I don't think the death of Prigozhin will have an immediate impact on how the war is going, just because the soldiers have already been away from the battlefield. But I think in the long run, uh, his death could have an impact on the Russian morale. You know, even though many in the army disagreed on the way he launched his march in Moscow, I think many sympathized with the criticism of Prigozhin towards the Russian Ministry of Defense, towards the head of the defense, Sergei Shoigu. And if Ukraine starts making serious gains during its counteroffensive, I think many of those complaints by Prigozhin will be sort of relaunched and the, the ghost of Prigozhin and the myth of Prigozhin will live on even without the man himself. And you said that Prigozhin spent his last days trying to shore up his operations across the African continent. Now that he's dead, what happens to those operations, both the Wagner mercenary group, but the whole range of things that he offered governments in the region? The big question is whether the Russian Ministry of Defense will be able to do the work that Prigozhin did as successfully. Prigozhin had the benefit that he wasn't a state actor and he could really do the dirty deeds for the local authoritarian governments without any accountability. Uh, you know, his troops have been accused of human rights abuses in multiple countries on the African continent. You know, if the Russian Defense Ministry takes over this work, I think it's also a sign of the sort of regime that Russia is becoming that just doesn't care about any international law. But I think many do question whether Russia as a state actor will be able to replace Prigozhin and will be as successful as him in propping up these local leaders. You also said that last week, not only did Prigozhin die, but we saw General Surovikin, this guy who was running the war in Ukraine for a long time, who may even be responsible for Russia's current defensive strategy in in Ukraine. He was dismissed from duty. Are there going to be any consequences of that, of such a leading and probably popular general being told to step aside? What we're seeing now is that these two leaders, who many in the West also have credited Russia's successes in Ukraine, uh, Prigozhin, who tied down tens of thousands of Ukrainian soldiers in Bakhmut, and Surovikin, who built up the defense lines that Ukraine has been struggling to penetrate, these two men are both sidelined. I think for now, Putin feels confident enough that he can sort of brush away any criticism. But if Ukraine starts making gains, it'll be much harder to defend. And so, Pyotr, given all of that, finally, where does this leave Vladimir Putin? Do you think he emerges from this whole episode where his power is challenged, where Wagner troops get to within a few dozen kilometres of Moscow? Where does it all leave him? I think we've seen both the fragility of the regime and the way the regime responds to internal crises. In the short term, from what we see and talk to the Russian elites, many are shocked, many are scared. And it's important to remember that Putin's regime is based on fear and not love. So I think in the short term, Putin managed to consolidate power. But of course, I think internationally and even to those inside Russia, it, it solidifies the view that the regime is only held together by violence. And some of the critics of the Putin regime now say that in the end, this violence will topple Putin himself. Pyotr, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Pyotr Soya, The Guardian's Russian affairs correspondent. You can read his coverage of this story along with our Moscow correspondent, Andrew Roth, at theguardian.com. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Ned Carter-Miles and Alex Atak. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Homa Khalili. And we'll be back tomorrow.
This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.